Welcome to the Sendcast. My name is Dale Pickles, Manager Director of B Squared and the host of the Sendcast, the special needs podcast. Each week we talk about a different topic within the world of special educational needs to improve knowledge, to provide support to professionals working in schools and to empower parents. In a world where there's less guidance, less money, more demand and continual changes, teachers, SENCOs, leaders, parents and carers need a way to keep up that fits in with their lives. The SENCAST is the answer. This week's episode is looking at technology, not just how amazing it is, but how to get more from technology with low-cost or no-cost ideas. This week, I'm here with Carol Allen and John Galloway, our first time we had two guests in one go. Uh, Carol is an education advisor for ICT and inclusion, in particular support in the London Grid for Learning. She was named one of the top 10 educators for 2018 in the field of education technology, and this was all down to her amazing work on inclusion. John is a specialist in the use of technology to improve educational opportunities for children and young people with special educational needs. He spends the majority of his time working with Tower Hamlets LA, but he also does a lot of work as a writer, consultant, and trainer. We're talking about training around SEND, how important it is, and how you can access the training. Before we get started, do you know what we do at B Squared? Have you heard of B Squared? B Squared was started around 25 years ago by my mum. She always struggled to show progress for pupils with special needs, so she created something that would help keep her going until someone made something she could buy. 25 years later, we are still supporting schools in the SEND. One of the ways we have done this is by launching the Virtual Send Conference in 2019. It is a way to make CPD around SEND more affordable and easy to access. You can access it as a conference over the internet or as a series of videos you can watch whenever you want. It is all about supporting pupils with SEND. For more information, visit www.virtualsendconference.com. At the end of the episode, I'll be giving you a discount code so you can save some money when you purchase access. If you are a parent, we've also launched Parent Talks so that you can access support and advice in the same way. Now on with the podcast. Welcome to the show, Carol and John. Thank you. Thank you. Hello, Dale. Tech is amazing. We're all sat here, miles apart, from having a conversation about tech and the difference it can bring. Some technology costs a lot, some doesn't. Sometimes people don't know all the things their current technology can do. So starting with technology is expensive, how can schools afford the specialist resources their learners need? So my take would be, uh, as I think you just said, not all technology is expensive. And secondly, They've already invested in technology, and a large part of this is about getting the best out of the technology they've got. And you can go a long way before you have to then begin to invest further in what is the more expensive stuff. There was a time when the technology that is specialist for special education needs and disabilities was bolt-on, and there was a kind of a, a continuum. And the gap between that, the generic and the specialist has closed considerably in recent years. So say it takes something like the iPad. When the iPad came out 10 years ago, uh, it was an absolute game changer. And it replaced a lot of the very expensive technology we had at the time, particularly things like communication aids. Communication aids running at, say, 10 or 12,000 pounds suddenly become a 500 pound iPad with, you know, even 200 quid's worth of, of app. And, you know, it reduced the, the, the cost by, you know, a, a tenth of what it was previously. Yeah. I think I think what's really quite interesting is it, I obviously agree with John that it was um, our, our the technology we needed was a bolt on 
to what everybody else had. And what's fascinating about this change in uh, this change round is that now um, what everybody else had is based on our good practice. So if we take the idea of a touch screen, um, I, I, I am so old that I had a touch screen that was Velcroed onto the front of a computer that obviously my students, my students could pull them off. You know, they could just if they didn't like them, they pulled them off and threw them, which broke them. But that's that was a touch screen. But it allowed that um, cause and effect level of learning for children. And now, of course, everybody's got touch screen phones in their pocket. We've got iPads. The, the special needs access has gone into mainstream. And now we can extrapolate that a step further in that all the main companies, Apple, Google, and Microsoft, have now got accessibility options, not hidden away down 42 layers of, of pressing switches to put them on and put them off, but they're right up near the top and they're there for everybody. And so everybody now can take their phone and dictate into it their shopping list. Or So speech to text was a really complicated thing. And we used to have to train people on it. And we used to have to pay a fortune. Now you can lift your device and just speak. And 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 so John's right. What what we already have in if you like the mainstream offerings is there and it's improving every iteration, every new level that they bring out has something new for us. And I think one of the challenges is actually people understanding that, people being aware of that. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, uh, as Carol rightly pointed out, um, speech to text uh, is, is just phenomenally accurate now. It's amazing. And we use it all the time. And we talk to our devices, you know, Alexa, you know, turn the telly on, that kind of thing. And again, voice control was once incredibly specialist. Yes. So what what we haven't realized is that the things we take for granted, like speech to text, voice control, audio books, touch screens, all those things are actually aids for accessibility. But yeah. people need to shift their thinking from the being part of their everyday environment to being a resource, a tool for meeting the particular needs of children, uh, those particular learning needs. We're still getting requests for access to technology for children. And when you point out the speech to text is already there or text to speech is already there or, you know, and they go, oh, yeah. And, and, and it's not it's making people aware that they actually don't have to spend any money. The technology you've got will cover a whole range of access issues already. I remember when I was young and my mum was teaching, she had the old concept keyboards plugged into the BBCs yeah. where you had to make major overlay. And that was quite simple because it was very much you hit this thing and something happened. Yeah. And touch screens are the same. Whereas when you're using a keyboard and mouse, there's a whole cognitive level of understanding that if I move this thing on my desk, something on this screen moves. Accessibility is, is phenomenal. Mm -hmm. um, and the text-to-speech, I think the broad internet speeds have allowed that because before we had all that fast internet is the grammar, everything had to be calculated on that computer, which was complicated and vast. Now it can all be done centrally. It's great. Also, another thing I noticed yesterday on preparing for a webinar is Microsoft have now added in live subtitling to your PowerPoint presentations. Yeah, 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 they have. Yeah, amazing. Yeah, absolutely useless at certain acronyms. <laughs> SEND, not getting anywhere. Um, um, so I'm going to learn how to say certain phrases. But yeah, it's just phenomenal. Every every year, it's you need to actually spend time and look at what you've got and yeah. look at maybe all the extra bits that's now appeared that you've never looked at before because you're using it for three things. 
actually yeah. that thing, three things you do is just 1% of what that device can do. Oh, yes, absolutely incredible. I mean, the, the, you can't know everything. Let's just start from that. So it's you keep as up to date as you can, but each child presents with a different profile that you have to unpick and try and find solutions to, to give them access and give them learning freedom. And each time you learn from it, each time you do this, you learn and you just kind of put something away in your mental toolkit that you can apply another time. Yeah. Yeah. And, and as you mentioned, Dale, your providers, developers are becoming more flexible in what they're providing. I mean, it, it, within the last couple of years, Microsoft in particular have introduced a speech to text into the Edge browser just sitting there. It's no longer, you know, an app you add in. Uh, the immersive reader sitting in Word and in also Office 365, uh-huh. uh, which is a great tool. I, I think immersive reader is a great tool for teaching. It's, it's good for learning. But, you know, I've used it on an interactive whiteboard using the, the letterbox to highlight text and talk about past speech. It's that kind of thing that really is sitting there. And, and I, I wish Microsoft had done or would do more to trumpet the fact that they're, that they're doing this. And they're not alone. No, they're not alone because we could do the same for Chrome. One of the things I've loved on Apple recently, I've been having a look at um, Apple accessibility in a bit more detail recently. And for example, they have a new voice called Alex that you can download. And Alex pauses and breathes. So he does have inflection, which is something that not everybody wants. Although that sounds silly and it sounds pause and breathe. If you're trying to teach somebody how to read with fluency, and to read and pause and take breath or pause and take breath for effect or pause and take breath for, for all the way. It just is absolutely beautiful. So if you haven't tried Alex, bring him down and have a go. I'm just writing that down. Mm. But I also think one of the things is I think there's a lot of fear around using the tech in the classroom. So one of them is how will they stay on task? And I would turn around and say, well, find out. Before you put that barrier in yourself, let's see. Um, and the other one, which I hear a lot, it comes back to that reasonable adjustment of, well, what will the rest of the class think because this child has an iPad? I'm talking about in mainstream settings. And that's a, something that you have to explain to the children that not everyone, this is equality, equity, all that sort of stuff is part of that. Well, first of all, there's far more tech in most schools than there has been in the past. So you often find that uh, a school has, you know, a, a suite of things that all all kinds of people can use. That's that's, you know, it, it's not so unusual now to see children using individual tech in a classroom is what I'm trying to say. So that's the first thing. And the second thing is I do think schools have got a responsibility to do some disability awareness training and education because we wouldn't they wouldn't bat twice at a child coming in in a wheelchair they wouldn't say why has he got a wheelchair why is he not using you know the same chair as me or a child who's wearing glasses that's acceptable child who's wearing hearing aids that's acceptable I do think that it's part of education to to enlighten people about this and I have to say Dale it's not usually the children who say it's unfair it's staff members I meet the teachers are putting the barrier in without even trying it yeah, absolutely. Kids are remarkably uh, flexible and understanding, and, and they tend to recognise that their classmates have some sort of issue and this is what they need. And they, they're very accepting and accommodating, largely. And I absolutely agree with you. It's the staff's own anxieties that yeah. uh, are being projected into the situation. Yeah. Yeah. My nephew has dysgraphia, so struggles with writing. And from year five all the way through, we've been battling can he use an iPad? Can he use a laptop? He had to go sign out a laptop every lesson. It was 
Finally, in year 10, he was just allowed to use a laptop throughout your school day, and he got the most improved pupil in year 10. <laughs> Finally. And, and, that, and that's, that's lovely, but it's shocking that he had to yeah. wait till year 10. I'm appalled by that, that he had to wait till year 10. In year five, he, they got an iPad because the problem is like the, the laptop battery often only lasts two or three hours, so it wouldn't last a school day. So it was the iPad was the suggestion. But because he didn't know about the uh, hidden second layer of keyboard with all the extra characters and how to do things, because he wasn't using his punctuation correctly, the iPad got removed. <sighs> Yet they never actually showed him how to do it. So it's, literally it was all the issues were put there by lack of knowledge, lack of experience. Yeah. And their own their own projections put on the situation so that brings us back to where we started doesn't it there's one of the i guess the first point we've made in this in this podcast is that there is mainstream accessibility available and if whatever tech you've got there are options but unless your staff are up to date with just even the basics and comfortable about sharing why would you give a piece of you don't give a car to somebody and expect they can drive you give technology and you help people use it it's it's crazy not to. Absolutely. The technology itself is not usually the biggest barrier to adoption. It's all the other factors around it. And so you know, if I'm going into a school and I'm giving advice around a child and what technology might be useful for them, I have to take those factors into account. Can it get charged? What's the the, the arrangements for looking after it, for printing work off, uh, for creating resources, all of that? And those are the expenses. That's the expense that schools don't really think about. I know... Um... Buying one piece of software might be one price, might be £150, but actually the cost of training, even if you can get free training, it's time. Yeah. Yeah. And and it is a hidden cost that people don't think about. Yes. Sometimes a free app might seem amazing, but actually if that free app is a little bit annoying to use and everything takes you twice as long as using a piece of software you could have paid £50 for, Mm-hmm. That piece of software which paid fifty pounds for is actually much better for value for money. Well, I think yeah. although the point of although the theme of this is low cost, no cost, both John and I realise that there are instances where you have to pay for specialist resources, whether that be software or technology, and they tend to be. Luckily, now fewer and fewer times that we have to go there, but. There, there are established and good companies who have spent a long time, for years in fact, supporting this field of access to technology. And they produce products that are gold standard. And, you know, it's not wrong to be buying some of these resources. It's absolutely not wrong. Some of them. So if I took, for example, Clicker by Crick Software, it is a specialist bit of software. But I can absolutely say that if you invested and put it right across a school network, you would find it was supporting lots and lots of students that maybe you hadn't even considered. You know, they hadn't gone down the IEP or plan route, but it improves their access to learning. So some of the specialist softwares or resources you do have to pay for. If somebody needs eye for example, at the moment, now notice I say at the moment, because about a year ago, I saw a beta version of iGaze for the iPad. So it's coming, folks, it's coming, it's on its way. But at the moment, if you need iGaze, you need specialist equipment. And of course, you you buy that from somebody who has put all the research and development into it. Can I just go back to Clicker? For those, most, most of us know what Clicker is, but for those who don't know what Clicker is, Carol, can you just give a brief explanation of what Clicker is and how it supports people? Oh, sorry. Well, brief, brief is difficult because Clicker is... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's like a whole podcast on its own. I, I would say it's the gold standard piece of software 
to support reading and writing in, well, any age, primary, secondary, higher education. It has variations. It's called Docs Plus as it gets older. But it removes literacy barriers such as reading and writing. And I know we've said we can do text to speech, and we can do speech to text, right? But what Clicker also does is it provides a series of scaffolds. A lot of them are very simple. You can find them elsewhere. Word prediction, having words in grids, it's switch accessible. It's eye gaze accessible. You can have contextual grids. A teacher can take the topic they're working on, take the keywords out of it, put them into grids, and then the child isn't laboriously trying to remember spelling. Or even if they want to use a word above their reading level, they can hear it and then put it into writing. So, I mean, that's like a glimpse of what this thing does. But it basically removes literacy barriers. And I can teach geography, history, and any subject. And then the final thing of all the things I could say about it is there's an online world of grids that are made by teachers. Before you have to make one, you just check in. And if somebody's done it, download it, maybe adapt it a wee bit and use it. So brilliant. Can, can I just chip in as well? When Carol was discussing it then, the focus was really about kids who have some sort of challenge to literacy. But what I like about Clicker is you don't have to have any special needs at all to use it well. No, that's right. For me, it's, it's one of the most inclusive pieces of software there is because anybody any child in the school could be using it as an accessible as, as a word processor. And then you have all these different layers of uh, additional support that can be brought in. But I also like the fact that the user, the child themselves, can choose when to turn them on and off. Yes. And it's that independence and that level of control that's important as well. So when we were talking about the cost of staff training, one of the issues there is that staff leave or kids move classes and you have to retrain staff and so on. But if you train the child in how a resource works, then they carry that around with them and you give them independence and, they, and, and that independence is important in, its, in, in, in itself as well. So with text-to-speech and speech-to-text, if you know what you want to say, if you've got that exactly in your head and you're just trying to get that message out, that works yeah. well. But yeah. where Clicker help, help support where you're struggling with that. Oh, it could do, or it could just be a word. I mean, John's right. It is a word processor. So it, it, in its simplest form if you don't put any of the supports in so anyone can use it but let's suppose you want to do tell a story text to speech and you have to cover five key points and you've got them in a list what you could have is a, a mind map in clicker around the, the, the yeah. things to give you ideas to talk about and if later you were asked to write about that here's the beauty so you've got your mind map you've got it ready you do your speech to text but um, in, in, in whatever, maybe you're making a podcast. So you're going to do speech to text. You've used Clicker to prepare your ideas. And then the teacher says, oh, that was great. Can you do it as a piece of writing? If you just in one click, it takes all your mind map and sends it into a grid. So that same student can write. It saves everybody loads of time. It's a re I, use, I use it and I haven't got a barrier. Well, I've got loads, but not literacy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, although at the moment there isn't speech to text in Clicker, there's speech no, notes. No, no. Uh, but and quite deliberately, they're, they're not putting it in quite deliberately because it is a tool around developing lit uh, writing. Skills. Writing, yes. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Uh, however, 
you know, it, as Carol says, it will help in structuring, getting thoughts down and so on. I also, if I may, I also wanted to comment on eye gaze just to say that you can buy eye gaze bars through Amazon now for under 200 quid and uh, they're aimed at the gaming market. But just as all the other technologies like speech to text and touch screens and so on have come through into, uh, into the generic area as well. So eye gaze is another specialist technology that is on its way into our living room soon. Yeah, yeah. I'm looking forward to it. Eye gaze is was revolutionary. It, it was huge. Yeah. And more yeah. more children who can access it, who need it, the better. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, the, the only thing, the only, I'm just going to put a little thing out there because people do say, "Oh, it's amazing, it's amazing." Um, you don't realize how tiring it is to use your eyes yeah. to yeah. to work on a computer. And people say, "Oh, if we give him eye gaze, that's fine." Actually, you can only do it for short short periods. You have to build up like a like an athlete trains for a race. And even then, you have to have breaks. If you try, if you get the opportunity to try, and I always say to teachers, if they're going to implement eye gaze, please, before you use it with your student, you do that. You try it. See how easy it is or how hard it is or how much time it takes you to get used to it. And see how many times you kind of step back and rub your eyes because it, it, it's difficult. People sometimes say, oh, that's an easy option. Actually, it's one of the, the more complex access options, but it's brilliant. I'm not saying it's not brilliant, but it's not straightforward as people think it's going to be. It's also, uh, you have to be very thoughtful have to think quite hard about the environment in, when it's, in, in which it's used because the computer screen can also act as a mirror. And so when you're using, uh, when a child's using eye gaze and is looking at the screen, it's possible that sometimes they're actually looking at what's happening behind them because the screen is mirroring something else. And so you have to be very careful that the screen, you know, what is available to them to look at is the content of the screen. So you have to think about how to, you know, about be aware of the environment it's used in. Okay. So we've mentioned a lot of the inclusive technologies. We don't need to spend money, which is already in apps, um, on websites with Chrome and Edge. It basically, it makes most of the internet more accessible. You've also got on your web browsers, you've got Zoom. Yeah. So zooming in can make it just, that's a simple difference, which can make a big difference uh, for people. What other tech are people thinking they need, but they already have? Can I mention low tech for a minute now? Yes. Because everything we've talked about presumes a kind of certain level of academia, let's say. And I don't want you to forget that technology also applies. For example, if we're talking to early years practitioners, it's understanding how a light switch works. It's understanding what I can do with the torch. It's understanding uh, how I can make things spin. It's listening to different sounds. It's auditory tech. So, for example, if we if we talk about Auditory memory. Let's take auditory memory, the, the ability and auditory sequencing, the ability to listen to something, to re identify what it is, to hold it in our memory and then to sequence a set of sounds. Now, there's loads and loads of free things now. The BBC has made their website of all their sound recordings and audio effects. It's completely free and you won't find a bigger. So there are other things websites with free sound effects you can use but the bbc website is like the gold standard again there's there's about 24 different kinds of lawnmowers for heaven's sakes you know but if you had somebody who was into lawnmowers they'd know the difference wouldn't they but the point is you can take a sequence of these or you can record your own so you might want a person to understand 
to pick out their mother and father's voice from four voices to random people. And you could record the voices and work with that. How would we do that? Well, we can do that with lots of things. There's a lovely little free app called Keezy, K-E-E-Z-Y. And it just allows you to record eight little sound snippets. And they're under a a different colored uh, square on, on the app. And so we could do that and let them find their mother's voice or find their father's voice. We take that up a notch and we want to do auditory sequencing. We could have parts of a story and then you have to listen to them and then show me the colours in the order that retells the story or lines from a poem or bits of a song. You can do auditory sequencing with the app. We could also go even lower tech and use some of the products like Talking Tin Lids or um, Big Macs, if you had enough, or Talking Points. And all of those are single message communicators. So you could do the same thing. Instead of having the eight on Keezy, you could have eight talking points, each with a bit of the story or a bit of the song or a different voice, and jumble them up. So auditory sequence, I, I mean, we can go on about this forever, but it's really important that technology is there right from the beginning in EYFS, not as an alternative to mud play and swinging on a swing and arty clarty art, but as just part of their lives. Because if that child later is going to need it, then it's it's nothing unusual. You can approach this from, for, for that question from different perspective but one might be if you have somebody who is say uh, visually impaired all the operating systems have uh, high contrast built into them not many people know that for instance on windows if you do alt left shift and print screen you turn on the high contrast and do it again you turn it off or that if you want to magnify a screen you hold down control and you scroll on the scroll wheel and that magnifies screen and so on yeah and and there's simple things that are uh, sitting in there and that can uh, that, that you can teach the user to use so they can turn it on off when they want it. But you can take other things like uh, I was in a year seven classroom recently, a girl who is visually and hearing impaired, but her hearing impairment had got worse recently and she had an iPad. And so what she did, she did was she turned on the notepad on the iPad and when the teacher was talking, she read that the, the speech to text was on. So as the teacher's talking, the notepad is writing what the teacher is saying and she's got instant subtitles. Yeah. And this is some, something from her so it was a thing about you know, the, the user understanding the technology and having the independence to then use the technology flexibly to do that but you know th- there's the other things that we you know like uh, windows 10 has a predictor built into it you've got what's the one in apple is speakeasy the screen reader I think it's speakeasy. Um, and, and on iPad, you can highlight text and you get it read to you all sorts of things that are simply sitting in there and the other thing I'd like to give a mention to, although it's not strictly SEN, is uh, Google Translate. Google Translate as a means of uh, instantly getting communication between people from diff- with different languages. It's just phenomenal. Yeah, I, I had a um, uh, we I had a boy came into one of the authorities I was working with who was uh, a refugee family, and sadly he walked over a landmine uh, in his. Uh, home country and so now had precious little vision no English of course and was uh, no use of one arm and one leg one leg was a little bit but basically one arm not working so to start with him we got him into a school but obviously we needed to do something about the language now yes everybody kind of says Google Translate is a bit iffy here and there but by crikey by the first break time with an iPad He was out at the playtime with the others. The boys were telling him jokes. 
He was responding to them and he was beginning to fit into a social group. And then it applied to the learning. So, yes, John, things like that are just invaluable. It's, it's, it's great, the tech. And I think there's lots of stuff within Windows, which I've used. And sometimes if you hold down a key too much, it even prompts you. If you want to turn your <laughs> features on or off, and you're going, oh, it's the cat, it's not me. But there's, there's lots. And, and it is, it's, it's finding out that, although you may not use it, what, what identifying what that child's barrier is. Yeah. It's, 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 sometimes that's easy mm-hmm. because you can try a few different things and work out what is the barrier. And it's things like when I'm having meetings and I share my screen, I've got a giant monitor, which means everything appears on my, and you see someone just lean forward on their, uh, their desk. And go, okay. They can't see my screen. I'll zoom in. So sometimes it is really easy to see what that barrier is and make a really quick, simple adaption. Yeah. Them. The other thing that John and I often uh, have discussions about is we've, we've focused a lot in this session on what's already in mainstream offerings from the main companies and we've touched on established resources but there is a third thing and that is what you already have in your cupboards now every school I've gone in if I if I get the chance to do an audit and a wander around I find in cupboards bits of kit or bits of software or stuff some of it from years ago but still usable this is the point some of it is still usable that maybe a member of staff had they used it very well they left other people weren't too sure how to use it so it went in the cupboard it's always worth having a good look round and seeing what you all already have if it's out of date and absolutely can't be used yeah chuck it but you'd be surprised and particularly people in special schools what i find in cupboards that's still usable and still good um, and one thing was that if you find hardware let's say you find some switches and an interface but you can't yep. find the disk it's always worth typing in the name of that device into google yes. or even trying to plug it in because sometimes what might have been very as you keep saying very specialist years ago is now actually quite mainstream. So you might actually yeah. find, although you don't have that software or that might require Windows XP and doesn't work on Windows 10, there might be a newer version that will work with that. It might be free or somebody hit the same problem as you and actually wrote their own software to do the same thing. So just yeah. if you found the hardware, but you can't find this, don't give up. Yeah. The main companies as well, Dale, um, Inclusive Technology and Dave at Praetorian and uh, AbilityNet, and, you know, all the main companies who deal with that, even if it's not their product, uh, are very kind. And if you phone up and say, I found this in the company, I'm not sure what it is. If you send them a screenshot, they'll tell you if it's not their product, they might not be able to give you much advice, but they'll, t- they'll probably tell you where to go to find out. It's a very, very supportive world. I have to say the yeah. companies are very good at helping people. And just to, to reinforce what you were saying, Dale, I was working with a young man recently and we introduced him to using a joystick. And it was a joystick from Inclusive Technology and we plugged it into a machine. It was a, a Lenovo Yoga, which is relevant because it, it, it is a touchscreen as well. And the joystick worked straight away. But w- what was important was that using the on-screen keyboard, the dwell function is built in, which means that when you point at a letter, Instead of having to press a button to select it, as long as you sit on it for long enough, it chooses that letter. So it means that you can simply, he can now use Google, Word, whatever, just by pointing at the right letter on the keyboard, pausing. And again, you can, you can alter the delay function for as long and short as you like, and then moving on. 
And suddenly he is now independently using a PC and all the functions that everybody else is using simply because this joystick, specialist piece of kit, but all the functionality is built into the operating system now. Can, can, can I just come in on, again, something that John and I talk about a lot? When, when the youngsters move to secondary school, an awful lot of the key things they need for support can be done with a mobile phone. Mm-hmm. And therefore, you're providing somebody with something that they can carry around in their pocket and will support what they need, you know, wherever they are. Now, that I know there are issues about mobile phones in high schools, but a lot do allow them. And what I'm saying is if, you, if the school does allow them, it's a fabulous way of providing you know, tech that's there and ready to use. I, I don't get schools who don't allow them. There is, there is that danger. Schools are, can be misused. There is some stuff, but it comes down to educating. And again, going back to my nephew, uh, with dysgraphia, in primary school, the teacher would write this week's spellings on the board and they would all have to copy it out. And with dysgraphia and his needs, he always wrote them down wrong. Yeah. He couldn't write them all down. He learned them wrong. If he could just take a photo of that board, Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And it's just all these little things. Do you know Kahoot? Yes. Yeah. Great, simple app and website for creating quizzes, multi-choice, so, so easy, so simple. And in reality, there used to be years ago, all these voting systems you could have, Bet Show. They yeah. try and use um, old uh, handheld games consoles and things and turn them into these really yeah. expensive, but it's a way you can actually get every child's input. Now it's just an app. It's Kahoot. You can do all that. There's pre-made quizzes on nearly everything. Yeah. And the phones are just so powerful. And when you leave school, you are going to spend your life in the majority of jobs on a phone, on a computer as part of that job. Whether you're a builder, building stuff, you're going to be on a website buying stuff. You've been doing that on location, on your phone. People need to learn how to use those tools properly in school. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, completely. Yeah, and, and you're you're right. I mean, one of the the challenges I think for schools safeguarding at secondary level safeguarding, you know, telephones in in changing rooms, that kind of thing. Yeah, and the other one is concerns maybe about staff and a teacher is is a little bit uh, passionate perhaps in the way they're talking to the class and the class videos that and puts it on YouTube. A teacher having a meltdown. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so there's 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 concerns like that. But for me, the way around those is actually about engaging with the, with the children instead of imposing the set of, uh, of sanctions and laws upon them and rules upon them is negotiate them. And, you know, kids are reasonable. Kids do understand. And kids will also police if somebody is, is use, misusing that equipment, that they will help uh, and, and support and, and call people out. So yeah. I, I completely with you. Yeah. 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 One of the um, interesting uses of technology I saw uh, a number of years ago at a conference was a teacher every day would put a random hashtag up on his board, literally a random series of letters and numbers. He put that on his board and kids were allowed phones. And if you had an issue, you just put hashtag. Yeah. And basically he could sit there and no one had to put their hand up, but he could then find out that somebody wasn't sure and could go and help them. Yeah. Outpouring yeah. attention to themselves. So any child with anxiety who's literally going, I oh, really mm. should have this. I've got this. Why is everyone else going? Why is everyone else working? But I'm not. And that anxiety building, they could just yeah. twist yeah. with that hashtag. And that teacher would literally go, okay, really nice, simple thing. Yeah. The simplest ideas are the best. I mean, I went to a, a school 
before we were all locked down, uh, a secondary school, which hasn't got a great reputation, but they do allow phones. And the first lesson I went in, the kids came in and they all took their phone out and put it clearly on the desk. And at several points in the lesson, the teacher asked them to check something or research something or whatever. And at the towards the end of the lesson, I was chatting to a couple of the kids and I said, you know, it's nice that you can have your phones out and, you know, like this. Oh, no, we have to have them there. They have, that's the deal. In return for having phones in school, they have to be visible by the member of staff at all times. Yeah. And that was their management. And to me, that's straightforward. It means somebody's not accessing something when you haven't asked them to. You know, it just makes complete sense. But I think it's that fear. I think fear always seems to rule. Yeah. Um, yeah. And when I think it was the Conservatives, was it in their behaviour announcement, some person I use the word idiot. Some person talked about zero tolerance and all this sort of stuff. One of it was no mobile phones in schools. And it, I was just like, that's not good for us here. And zero tolerance and no more. None of that help. Not really no. helpful. No. No. We don't live in that world anymore. Uh, we're no. not out of it yet, Dale. <laughs> no. I'm afraid. Okay, I'm afraid. I don't live in that world. <laughs> well, but it's also in the current situation that we're in, the importance of technology for every child and easy access to technology for every child is completely underlined. All the all the the uh, points we've been putting forward for a couple of decades now about access to technology, access to the web, having appropriate resources in front of them, access to information, equality of access, all those things are are, are laid bare during this crisis. Yeah, and I think yeah. one of the things I've seen lots of people try and do Zoom lessons with thirty kids. Generally, yeah. I think that's a bonkers idea. Generally, are you thinking, do they have to respond to what I'm saying or am I giving them information for them to use after? If you're giving them information to use, why not just record a video and then share that with them rather than trying to have to do it with 30 children interrupting you or being late? What's great about that, if you record a video and then share it with them, people can watch it as many times as they want. They haven't got other children distracting them. You can actually remove lots of little barriers. So actually, you're addressing one child at a time. They can re-watch that video. If they're unsure, they should then contact you for extra support. Well, that's mm -hmm. always been the basis of, of, for example, the flipped learning approach, that one would give information to the students to look at in their own time before the lesson, where you actually work through the constructs and the outcomes, you know, but they already had taken their time. And flipped learning works very well if you've got, for example, a visual impairment, you're sat in a really bad place in the class, you can't see the video normally, but you can watch it at home first several times, get the information. It, it, it's a good thing. I think with this pandemic, people started trying by doing home learning, just trying to replicate what they did in classrooms. And that doesn't yeah. work. Sadly, a little bit slowly they're learning is that actually it's a different way of teaching and learning, teaching and learning going together. And there's some really interesting articles and really interesting models beginning to appear. And I think it's vital that they do, because once we get the equality of access sorted, which we are nowhere near sorting, that promise that all those computers and laptops were going out. Not a single child that I know of has got anything yet. Right. Um, yeah. But once we get the quality of access sorted out, I, I suspect, and I, I have to say I hope, that a blended learning approach will be where we end up. For years, we've shouted, for example, for children who've got 
complex medical conditions and can't access a classroom or psychologically, you know, if they're, if they're suffering from huge school phobia or anxiety and they can't bring themselves to come into school. We've tried to get access. We've tried to get learning for these students at home so they can keep up with their peers socially and academically. Now, all of a sudden, it, they've had to do it for everybody. And it pains me a little bit that we've been shouting for so many years that this is an accessibility issue and an SEND issue and hardly anybody's listened. But I'm hoping that the lessons learned from this will provide better for everybody. Absolutely. And, and you know, the pedagogy for teaching online is quite different for teaching standing uh, in front of a class of kids. And one of the things that you can do fairly effectively online is actually to use uh, groups as resources for each other. And you don't necessarily have a, you know, a half hour video that they all watch. You may have a three minute video they all watch. They all reflect on it. They all share those reflections. They comment and critique each other's reflections. And then they have a further stimulus. And two things can happen. One is that the teacher can become more constructivist in the way that they're working. In, prov in provoking and challenging. And the other one is that the kids can become a resource to each other in a way. Sure, sure it happens in class, but it can be, it happen more so. And we know that one of the most effective ways of learning for young people is actually learning from each other. And so, you know, there is this possibility in, this, in, in a, a more blended learning approach uh, to actually access a different way of working and, and perhaps put more emphasis on the learner having responsibility for their learning as opposed to the teacher being the one who has the, the, the content and the knowledge and, and passing it over. So I, th I think there are exciting possibilities that could come out of this if we're prepared to embrace those changes. And I think the thing that may prevent that is nervousness, is anxiety, is yeah. not, not feeling supported in taking initiatives like that. What I've found is we've been doing online meetings with customers now for about two years. And Generally, you're there and people struggle to connect or they're late or they're not sure. Sorry, I had all these issues. Suddenly, since COVID-19, generally everyone is there on the dot, arriving, ready, set yeah. up, connected. Where it's like, right, so you've all got over this technology issue. You're all great. We're great on this. Let's keep this going. Yeah. But I think it's, yeah. it's reliance on Zoom and thinking Zoom is the only answer. Whereas right. Teams... You can do lots with Microsoft Teams. And if you are an, uh, a school which uses Office 365, I'm pretty sure that you get student licenses for free, I believe. Yeah, I think that's Google. true, yes. Yeah. I think yeah. that's true, yeah. I think if you're a Google school, but Teams is great because you can have that collaborative conversation. It doesn't have to be audio and video. Children love texting on phones. They love WhatsApping. So why not actually use that in that conversation in Teams? It doesn't always have to be video and voice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, drop down to tech. Yeah, yeah, uh, and certainly some of the uh, providers that for years have been providing online education for kids who are at home, uh, like I think uh, Nissai is one. A lot of the time, they had chat uh, speech available, but the kids would choose to use text to talk between themselves and with the teacher and so on. And it's quite true in Zoom as well. Zoom meetings that I'm in quite often, the questions yeah. and the comments coming through the chat. You're following the chat as well as you're following everything else that's happening. Yeah. Yeah. Another way of working. Great. You know, let's embrace it. Let's see what we can do with it. Looking at all the uh, discussion points you've given us, I think we've covered most of the things you've mentioned. And what I, one thing I would say, if you have no idea how to do anything, I think to me, the world has moved beyond Googling stuff and has now moved to YouTubing stuff. 
But generally, if you Google something, you've got to read and find an article on how to do something. If you go to YouTube and go, how do I turn on? Yeah. There'll be a video yeah. of someone doing it. Yeah. That, yeah. You don't have to work out where the button is. You don't have to go, what will happen? You watch someone do it and then you can repeat it, which again removes some of that anxiety. Yeah. 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 And a lot of the big companies have got their own YouTube channels. I mean, you, you could go uh, like Crick. So Crick's website has got lots of training videos, very good quality. They'll teach you anything you need to know about Clicker. But you can find them on YouTube too. And and don't forget, um, a lot of the big companies have got Facebook pages, which uh, are, are, uh, which where people, and by people, I mean, it could be practitioners, it could be parents. They ask questions. I, if I take Purple Mash, for example, they, they answer virtually, to, and, and Crick again, but some of the others, definitely Purple Mash, 24-7. It'll say, yeah. you know, they're, they're picking up a message at 10 o'clock at night and saying, either answering it or saying, I can't fix that now, but first thing in the DM me your email, first thing in the morning, I'll sort it. And that kind of reassurance on a 24-hour cycle. So Facebook is a, a huge place for getting information as well. I think over the years, I think IT support for schools hasn't been great. So uh, I know my experience of talking to schools and other companies or their, their schools or the local authority, that sometimes it takes weeks and months to get a response. But I think if you go to these new channels, if Facebook and the companies which are coming through at this time where they know that people want to get on and they haven't got time, there are a lot yeah. of people who respond. And if and a lot of these things, you might be on a group. And if you, if, if Clicker can't, or they haven't got a group like that, ask in a Senko group on Facebook. Exactly, exactly. Someone else will know. Someone will yeah. just spend 10 seconds of their time to go, yep, found this problem in his video or did this, do this. Yeah. People are very, very supportive in this community. They really are because the oldies, like moi and John, no, no offence, John, um, but it, the point is we had to, we had, there was no, this sounds dreadful, this sounds like the kind of thing I said I would never say when I reached this age, but there was no YouTube, there was no Google, there was no, you know, Twitter, there was, you know, a hashtag, I, I don't know the word hashtag, and and so we were trying to find out from books, from very few written publications. There was hardly anywhere. And mostly we invented it ourselves. Um, and then going to your local authority, at one point, everybody had an ICT, special SEND yeah. advisor. Every single authority had one. We had places like Vector, which started to put out information. Okay, we now have these more informal routes. It doesn't matter. There is help there. You do not have to worry on your own. No. And it is, I think, years ago, you would have gone to the bet show and you would have waited six months to go and ask someone a question. And go, <laughs> I need to, yeah, it's just this. You're like, oh, I've been waiting six months for that. Yeah, exactly. Now you, exactly. Now you can just Facebook message or email, or, and it is so much easier. And also, as you said, you go to a local authority, which meant news traveled slowly because it was in each local authority. Now somebody can find a great resource the world can know in 10 seconds. Exactly. Yeah. We are getting, uh, it might be worth mentioning, the Demonstrator Schools program the DFE is setting up at the moment, where schools across the different regional schools commissioners areas, so there'll be 10 areas, uh, are being set up who are considered to have expertise in the use of technology in education. And one of the criteria is they have some understanding of the use of technology for access and inclusion. Uh, so that's underway now, but uh, funding's for another year yet. Not, so we won't know how effective it is for a little while yet, but Demonstrator Schools program is starting now too. 
-hmm. one thing I am hoping is I'm hoping that these sorts of schools, these uh, teaching schools, uh, all these leading schools start to move away from doing things face to face. Face to face mm -hmm. is great. But if you're in a large authority and that school you need to get to is 45 minutes away and you've got to get to the end of the day, it limits people's time. I think a lot of the stuff could be done. As you said, you could be doing a live session and have a laptop set up recording it as well. Yeah. So that way, if you can't get to it, you can still access. Because with part-time teaching, Senko's working across multiple schools, you can't always get to some, a school at a time. The number of times I've gone to a school and we're waiting for 20 minutes, half an hour, for the teachers from another school to arrive over, and they had to get out of school, pass their own transport, then they had to hit the traffic. And it just delays everything and it reduces that time you have to learn at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. So I do think in the same way we need to start, schools have embraced due to being forced to embrace that digital way of learning over the internet for pupils is can they do that for their own staff as well? Can yeah. they use tech yeah. in that way as well? Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, going back to the point I was making earlier, just simply the teachers then understanding that the way they're working is a way they could work with the kids too. Sort of uh, that kind of extrapolation from this is what I do to ah, this is what I do and it would also work in this situation for this thing. Yeah. Yeah. Quite. Yeah. Yeah. So coming towards the end of the show, any top tips you haven't shared that you want to share? Mm. I think we've covered most of them, so there's probably not much left unless there's something you've seen recently. Well, I, I guess number one would be it's the overarching theme of what we've all chatted about is um, there is no magic key in technology and SEND. There, there isn't a bit of kit or a – I've had experiences where I've, I've set something up and it has been almost like a magic key. Let me, I can give an example of this. A boy who got to year seven who's dyslexic, hadn't been identified as dyslexic, just couldn't read. And his behavior and everything was going wrong. And a very, very astute intervention teacher said to me, I think he might be dyslexic. We're going to start the assessment. Could you come and see him? And I took in a reading pen one of the C pens. And I took that in. I, I had lots of stuff, but I took in the C pen. We sat in the library and I showed him how this pen worked. And he was a bit, you know, reluctant, but he had a try and he went, oh, it's reading to me. And he said to me, does it read any book or just what you've given me? And I said, um, it reads any book. So he took books from the library and he's going, oh, this works, this works. And then he said, does it read posters? Because you know how libraries have got inspirational posters on the wall. And he went over and read the posters. And he turned back to me and he said, he said, are you a witch? And I said, what do you mean? Many people have called me that. I said, what do you mean? He said, are you a teacher from Hogwarts? Because he said, this is, and I will, I'll just say effing magic. That's not what he used. <laughs> he said, and so there are moments, right? There are moments when something does make a life change. But what I'm saying is the pen is not enough. He needs actually far more than that. It does one job very well, but he, he actually needs, you know, obviously far more. He's dyslexic. He needs lots of tech help. What I'm saying is there is never a magic key unless all the things that John said and I've said and you've said, Dale, you find that you, you start from what the child needs. You find the, 
the stuff that might work. You try it always, if possible, giving choice and ownership and independence to the young person. And then accept that it might be a movable feast. What works now might not be right in a year's time, or we might have something better. So it's never a moment in time. But what people do is they say things, they say ridiculous things to me in emails, like, what have you got for Down syndrome? And I mean, but it, oh, you're laughing, Dale, but it's not funny. We get these questions. What have you got for dyslexia? As if magically there is something which John or I could advocate, which will just completely make everything, you know, even for people. And it's not. It doesn't work. It's one of the things I keep seeing is things like, what have you got for Down syndrome? Uh, yeah. Good interventions for Down syndrome. It's like it shows you the real lack of knowledge that is missing, that they're not sitting there going, I've got a child with Down syndrome who is really struggling with this and I'm struggling with that. What can you offer? That's what you need to know. That's what I need to know. Yeah. So so, so my my mantra around that is needs, not labels. Yes, so, exactly. And, it, and if so, for instance, if a child is struggling with phonics, so a child may be hearing impaired, may have Down syndrome, fetal alcohol syndrome, Williams syndrome, dyslexia, autism, but the issue may be that they don't get phonics. You know, any of those labels, they don't get phonics. Yeah. So the approach you take may actually be the same across all of those groups. Yeah. So needs, yeah. not labels. Focusing. What's the, the learning need and how can the technology, how does the technology fit into the approach you're taking to meet that learning need? Yeah. So, so top tip number one, therefore, is start from the child and their needs. Top tip number two, look at what you've already got and what is available to you to use. Make sure you know how to use it. Top tip number three, if you're going to spend, spend wisely. Go and have a look and, and do look at established companies because their products are good for a reason. And keep your mind open. Keep your mind open yeah. to, to new ideas or twists or ways of doing things. And please, 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 here's the huge one. People will sometimes say when I talk, well, I've tried that. And it turns out they tried it for about a week. It takes yeah. time to learn to do something. It takes time to learn how to embed it into practice. So if you say, oh, we did that, it didn't work. We did that, it didn't work. You have to give time and effort to make some things work. Yeah. 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 The, the, the other one that I'd add on to that is just about independence, is that the point of this is actually to try to support, to try to help children to become independent as learners as far as possible. Uh, and a lot of the time, if the, the technology can help that to happen, but if we can also give them the skills to manage the technology themselves, yeah. they're not dependent on the people around them and that increases their independence. So as far as, far as you can, give the skills and the knowledge to the kids. So because it becomes much more portable, much more flexible, much more uh, enduring as well. And just to uh, repeat what Carol said is sometimes you don't realize the benefit of something till you start doing it for weeks and then you suddenly realize you're reaching for it or you're trying to find it. Then mm. That's the moment your head is finally to realize this is helping me. Yeah. So doing yeah. something for a couple of weeks, you mm. might be saying, this isn't really helping me. And after a while, you're sitting there and you will slowly work out, actually, this is getting easier. And then you will start thinking of that first. And that's the time that you finally realize, as the child might realize, that is helping them. Yeah. That's the time. It takes that time, especially when you're doing something. If you have that light bulb moment up with a reading pen, that's great. But it's not always going to be a light bulb moment. It might be something, I don't get why I'm doing this. It seems to take longer. And it's that sometimes something takes longer initially, the benefit comes after. Yeah. So yeah. it's not always going to be an instant fix. and. Just going back to what you said, Carol, about and John about that need. 
is breaking something down. So, yeah, so when you're saying mm -hmm. that they're struggling with writing, that's still such a giant area. Um, maybe sort of start at what age they are, where they're working. Mm -hmm. Maybe which aspect of writing is it? The handwriting is it? The composition. If it's the composition, yeah. that's where something like clicker can come in because they're struggling with it. There's so many things that will help you by giving more information to someone on what the problem is, and actually yeah. spending a bit of time investigating what the problem is will lead you to answer much more quickly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's one I see. Has anyone got a maths intervention? Has anyone got a writing <laughs> intervention for a nine-year-old? That without information, I've got nothing. Yeah, it could be something very specific for that child, but you need lots more information to even start. Absolutely, that. absolutely. So I've written a number of notes on things Carol and John have mentioned. Um, I'll also ask them to send me some links as well in case they think of anything. Um, but a big thank you to you, Carol and John, for coming on the show today. Thank you for inviting us. Yeah, thanks for the platform. It, it, it's it's you know it's a pleasure to be invited to discuss these things because we don't always get the the airing that we'd like. <laughs> Now, I think it's great because I, I know, again, it's all that limit limiting factor of time and money yeah. that everyone yeah. has. And as we were just saying, there is so much to do, so much to learn. And this the idea of the podcast is just a simple, easy, free way for people to learn new things, give them time to stop and think. They're not in the middle yeah. of something. They just listen to this. Might be walking their dog. They literally might be right now picking a black bag in their hand, picking up a poo. No idea. Um, but... <laughs> They could be doing something, just having that time to think and just going, actually, and then reflecting on that for the rest of that walk or the rest of that journey. It's okay. actually having that time to think about. So that's what this is about. And having lots of experts like you, Carol, John. Previously, we've had Aaron Smith on the podcast, who is severely dyslexic, and he works with Microsoft on this accessibility stuff and promoting it. So mm -hmm. it is great that Microsoft is changing and they've got uh, Aaron on board. And again, he was able to share. So it's what the podcast is here for. It is that sharing. So show notes will be on the website, www.thesendcast.com. So you'll be able to find the show notes and all the useful links in there. A uh, big thank you for listening to the show. If you haven't subscribed already, you can subscribe by going to the website. Um, and you can also sign up on the website for our newsletter to be always updated with the latest episodes. You can find us on all the social media channels. On Twitter, we are at The Sendcast. On Facebook, The Sendcast. On Instagram, the Sendcast and on LinkedIn, just search for The Sendcast. If you want to get in touch with me, let me know your thoughts, suggest topics, anything else, please send an email to hello at thesendcast.com. And if you've enjoyed The Sendcast, why not look into the virtual Send Conference? This is a conference that, like The Sendcast, is run by B Squared. And what makes this conference different to other conferences is you access it across the internet, like various other things we've been talking about today. It is about learning across the internet makes life a lot simpler. We run the conference twice a year in March and November. Each conference has 12 highly valuable sessions designed to help schools. And you can buy tickets for future or past events because the videos are always available. Although we record on the day, those videos are available forever. The cost for each conference is £60, and this covers the entire school, not per person. And as a listener to the Sendcast, we're offering you a 10% discount just by using the code Sendcast10. Uh, and we've also launched Parent Talks, which has taken the same approach, but aims at supporting parents and carers of children with SEND. So for the Parent Talks, tickets are only £10. And you can, as previously, you can watch the content whenever you like and as much as you like. And for Parent Talks, you can find out more information by going to www.virtualsendconference.com forward slash parents. And Carol, you were one of our previous speakers on the uh, conference, weren't you? 
Yeah, thoroughly enjoyed it. It was great. It was really, really interesting. And I liked uh, listening to all the other speakers as well. So it was a good day. It's a great day. So a uh, big thank you for listening. Uh, we'll be back next week with another episode of The Same Cast. So it's goodbye from me. And goodbye from Carol. And goodbye from John. Goodbye. <laughs>